Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the MDDDS podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kyle Fagala, and we only have a few weeks left of this first inaugural year of the Memphis Doctors and Dentists Discipleship Study, or MDDDS. If you've been with us, obviously we're on episode 27, so we've been doing this for a while. And what we have is about a 40 to 50 minute lesson that we do Monday nights at 7 p.m., typically at my house in Germantown. It's open to medical and dental students, and of course, it's open to other people that want to come as well, but that's our focus. And we've gone through several different series. We just wrapped a series on apologetics, and now we're going to move into our final series for this first year on Reflect. And the idea of this is that we've all been made in the image of God, and that's a topic that we'll look at tonight. What does that mean, and what does that mean for our life, and how we should live it, and also how shall we treat others considering that we're all made in the image of God. And that's going to be the nature of our four-week discussion on this topic. What is the image of God this week? Next week, two weeks in a row, we're going to look at biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. And then in our final week, David Flatt's going to look at cultural distortions of the image of God. And so maybe how our culture has taken what God has created in us and changed that or try to subvert that. A lot of great stuff coming in this series. I can't wait to get through that with you. Um, I'm excited with this lesson tonight. This is one of the really most difficult lessons that I've prepared for, so I'm very excited for you to hear what we've come up with for tonight. So let's move on to that right now. We are going to start by talking about uh, this new series we're getting into. So we've gone through, I think this is our seventh series, something like that. Um, This is going to be called Reflect. And uh, what that sort of alludes to is the idea that we are made in the image of God, we're God's image bearers, and we're intended to reflect God to the world. All right, and so we we looked at this previous series on apologetics at um, the idea that humanity and our universe didn't just spring into existence out of nothingness for no reason, uh, that we were created by God, and it was God that is outside of space and time, that is an uncaused being, And uh, what we're going to kind of extend into with this series is is that God has a personal relationship with us in the way that he created us. All right, so we'll look at that in Genesis. We'll look at it in the New Testament. Um, But that as God's image bearers, we have a certain purpose in this earth. Okay. All right, so your blank there is our purpose is to reflect him, to reflect him to the world. All right, so that's what this series is about. We're going to do two weeks on biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. And so today we're going to kind of look at um, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? What, it's sort of a question of what does it mean to be human, but seen through, I think, a, a Christian lens. Um, and then the next step is, well, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? And then the last week, David will look at ways that our culture has distorted this Imago Dei or this image of God. I think it's going to be a really cool series to wrap things up. And then we're going to have a celebration party, and I can't wait. So, all right, not that I'm not excited to keep going. I'm just saying I'm excited to have the party together. All right, so some of the questions that we'll be asking tonight is, uh, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Uh, we're also going to ask this question, is there a difference between humans and other uh, creations, such as like animals? And then how do we reflect the image of God in our lives? Uh, a quote by A.W. Tozer, if you remember this guy from our Attributes of God series, he says this, he says, The doctrine of man made in the image of God is one of the basic doctrines of the Bible and one of the most elevating, enlarging, magnanimous, and glorious doctrines that I know. All right, so you may have heard the word Imago Dei. That's actually kind of what we call this. Um, if you don't know what that means, it's just Latin for the image of God, but it sounds way cooler. Uh, so I think preachers like to call it Imago Dei, or as some people say, 
Imago Dei. Really, that's what they say. So I, I like Imago Dei because Dei just sounds silly, I think. Um, but anyway, it just means the image of God. And so I want to ask this, and this is just one of these like general kind of, I want to kind of gauge where you're at on this topic before we start. And I will tell you that this is a topic that I thought I knew what this meant. And studying it, I realized, man, I really don't. Like it's, it's way deeper uh, than I had expected. But what do you think it means to be created in the image of God? Maybe what words come to mind or how would you describe if someone asked you, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? I know looking ahead, it's cheating. <laughs> Not all at once. I think it's hard for me to say specifically, but I think it makes me think that we're different than the rest of his creation. Like, because he doesn't say that about any of the rest of his creation, and so being made in the image of God must be different. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I always state the obvious of like that we have a spiritual component to our existence versus other creation doesn't have the, the spiritual. All right, so we're we're different. We have a spiritual component, and that spiritual component is eternal. Um, I think we have hmm. an eternal part of us, and God is eternal. Yeah, that was, that was good. I actually am not talking about eternity tonight, and I think I probably should be. I think that's good. So, um, yeah, part of what makes God God is his eternal nature, the fact that he's outside time. Yeah, and so there's maybe a, a touch of that on us. I, do, I think we'll strike a difference between what it means to be created in the image of God now, and then also, as we move into the New Testament, what it means to be in the image of God down the line. So I think the, the, the tinge of eternity is something that comes later, perhaps. And I will say, too, I'm not a theologian. I've not studied this topic. And as I'm reading these, like, really deep papers, like read one by John Piper, it's like, yeah, this is outside of my uh, comfort zone. Sort of like when you're, you know, first few days in medical school or in your specialty or what your residency or whatever, you read a paper, and you're like, I don't understand any of this, you know. kind of feels like that a little bit. Um, all right, so a lot of good answers. We'll get into more of that. I've actually come up with, there's basically three different options as to what the image of God can be, and we'll look at all those sort of in turn. First thing I want to do is look at the Old Testament, and then we'll look at the New Testament. Um, and it's actually interesting, because I think the image of God is a pretty popular conception. It's something that gets brought up pretty often. It only shows up in the Old Testament three times, which is not that many. Um, and they're all in the uh, book of Genesis. All right, So there's a couple other times where it talks about likeness, but really what we think of as the image of God, it's only three times. And Piper makes the point that I think is important sometimes when we talk about topics like, like the prayer of Jabez or like, you know, prosperity gospel concepts that like literally are like half a verse in one book like nestled in, you know, this dark corner of that book and we kind of expand that to be this big idea. I think we should be cautious of that. And so he says that uh, we should measure our emphasis accordingly. So if it only shows up three times, we should probably be careful with how often we talk about it. But anyway, so let's look first at this first verse, Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Uh, Ryan, do you mind reading that? Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. 
own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. All right, so it shows up a couple times here, but uh, kind of some shadows of the Trinity in here too, but let us, let us, in plural, but let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And then uh, in the same sentence, they're given dominion over animals. All right, and so, you know, in the days of creation, there are animals and there are humans on day six, but there's something special about humans. They're given dominion, so there's a sort of superiority that's given to, to humans as they are given the image of God, as it were. Um, and so, of course, then in the image of God, he created them. And then male and female, he created them, which will be next couple weeks that we study. All right, Genesis 5, 1 through 2. Other, Ryan? <clears throat> when God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. All right, and then Anna, Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. Okay, so then we kind of get this other thing. We're not going to like pick apart every verse, but because people are created in the image of God, all of us shouldn't be murdering them. That's kind of like the concept here of Genesis 9. All right, so let's move on kind of quickly to the New Testament to see kind of how it's talked about there. And uh, there are some details here about if you're interested in what the Greek is. There's this word uh, akon, and then there's these words homeosiosis and character, which that's not how they pronounce it, but it looks just like character. Um, uh, Akon is used uh, in 20 verses in the New Testament, so the numbers go up. Um, And also this is your blank here, is is that in 12 of these it explicitly denotes physical representations. Physical representations, which will become important here in a little bit. Alright, so the number of the mentions goes up, but what you'll see is, is that it's a different type of image of God, and I'll, I'll save that for here in a second. Uh, we're just going to keep going around. So James 3.9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. All right, so we have this idea that we, uh, it's kind of alludes to this same idea that we shouldn't shed the blood of man who's made in the image of God. We also shouldn't curse the man or the woman that's made in the image of God or in the likeness of God. If that, if that kind of carries through. And then what we'll see in these next two verses is we start to see this shift towards the image of God being Jesus. And so there's a sense in which we're made in the image of God. When, and even when we're sinful, we still have the image of God that's a part of us. Okay, So we could be completely lost in sin and still have the image of God as part of what makes us human. And yet when we look at Christ as the perfect representation of God and the fullness of God, that is the image of God. So there's almost this like turn. It's like we are made in the image of God, and yet we are certainly not Christ. We will be someday. But as we get into the New Testament, when Paul talks about it, when Peter talks about it, usually they're referring to Jesus as the image of God. And so you'll see that starting in, uh, well, sort of here, but 1 Corinthians 15, 49, definitely the next verse, but go ahead and read that one, Caitlin. All right, and so this actually, not to confuse things, but we, the man of dust is Adam, and so we, we bear that image. And, of course, Adam was created in the image of God, so that kind of mirrors that. So just as Adam was born in the image of God, so are we. But also then it kind of alludes to this sort of this future tense that we're also going to bear the image of the man in heaven who is Jesus. Okay, And then this verse really brings us down, but Second uh, Corinthians 3.18 
right, so this idea of being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Um, so this is definitely talking about Jesus and how uh, basically the short version is as we're sanctified day by day and ultimately as we're glorified, we start to look more and more like Jesus. All right, so your blank here is in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the image of God. And like I said, the phrase is it's just used a little bit differently than it was in the Old Testament. Um, we see this in Colossians 1, 15 and 19. This is of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so I kind of say it like this, is that, and this is maybe very obvious, but uh, Jesus is sort of like a 4K image of God, and we're sort of like a 480p, or maybe like a 360p. These are all YouTube terms, because I love YouTube. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so we, you know, we resemble God, um, and we're a shadow of God, or a likeness of God, but we are not God, whereas Jesus would be the full representation of God. Okay? He's our clearest picture of God that's ever existed on earth. Okay? Um, and then as humans, we're not going to be 100% uh, the Imago Dei until we're glorified one day in heaven. All right. So I do want to show a video. This is going to be from the Bible Project on the image of God to kind of bring home some of these ideas. I actually have two videos tonight, so if you like videos, you're in luck. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, this is the Bible Project's video on the Imago Day on the image of God. You can look that up, but I'm going to pause the podcast for this. Okay, so I really like that video. I like the different ideas it brings up. We'll, we'll come back to some of those throughout this, but I do want to look at three different options of what the image of God means. So it wouldn't surprise you that in studying this, you find a lot of different options for what it means. And I think what I was struck with is that there is sort of like a classical approach to what the image of God means. Um, and then I think there are different approaches to the image of God to sort of serve different needs. And so uh, we'll kind of get to that as we go. But um, I, I'll just kind of let you in on it. I think actually there's a fourth option which sort of includes parts of all these but anyway so the first option is we physically resemble God that's what the image of God means is that we physically resemble God um, I have a lot of good friends who are Mormon um, but they have a doctrine that God has a physical body and there's other movements that have a similar kind of way of viewing this um, and in fact there you know there's some verses that kind of point to how like in numbers it talks about how idols can't smell and eat and all this kind of stuff but it Sort of makes it sound like, well, that God can, which is an interesting thing. So it's kind of where some of this theology comes about that God has a physical body. I think, of course, God obviously has a spiritual body as well. That, that's pretty founded in the scripture. So John 4.24 says that God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in the spirit and in truth. Um, and so I, I don't think that God is entirely physical, right? And does God have a nose and ears and hair? I have no idea. Apparently, according to the video, it has a strange hand, very strange hand. He doesn't like for people to bring it up, so I'm probably in trouble. But, um, and so I, I think that we would know just sort of common sense is, is that God has to be spiritual in the sense that he is outside of space, time, and matter, right? In terms of what he looks like, you know, who knows? Um, so a little bit on kind of the Hebrew in here, and this is adapted from John Piper, but uh, in, in they talked about in this video, but the, the English word for image translates to the Hebrew word uh, tselem, and the English likeness translates to the Hebrew word demut, and they're used sort of interchangeably, but here's the point I want to get across, is that it does have a physical nature to it, and so there is a sort of physical nature to all this, and so not exactly physical, and I think this is where it's kind of interesting, is, is that 
uh, says neither word means a necessarily concrete or tangible image, but it's rather a more abstract likeness. So when it talks about being made in the image of God, it's not like it's it's like an exact photocopy of God that we are. It's more of like like a shadow or a phantom or a reflection. Okay, and so Piper says this that in some sense the human made in the image of God is like God. Man is at some level a copy of his maker, but it's not a perfect copy. Okay, all right. So I think we would probably just agree like sort of sight unseen of these notes like well. Maybe there's a physical component, but it, there's definitely like the ones y'all talked about. It's like more of like a spiritual or like even like a rational or intellectual component. I think this is probably the most common way of viewing it. I think there's some problems with it. This is the one that's kind of more classically held. So your blanks here for option two are we spiritually or rationally resemble God? Another way of thinking about this would be like intellectually. Okay. So spiritually or rationally, we resemble God. And so Piper says this is the early church fathers were quite agreed that the image of God in man consisted primarily in man's rational and moral characteristics and in his capacity for holiness. And so I think most people would say that, well, rationally, morally, in the sense that we know the difference between right, right and wrong, humans are unique. Okay. Um, and this is also known, and this is a little bit maybe tough to spell, but it's called the substantive view. So like, substantive s-u-b-s-t-a-n-t-i-v-e um, and what this says is that God is rational so he created man to be rational God is creative so he created man to be creative God understands morality so he created humans to understand morality and I think this would be like the answer that like 85% of people would, would give to this like what is the image of God let's say well it means that we have sort of a spiritual sense to us that we uh, we understand right and wrong. We have kind of God's understanding of things written on us in a way. Okay. So why it's problematic and why there's some holes in it and why I think it's not perfect is when you start to consider other creatures. And so when we look at angels and demons, you'd certainly say of angels and demons that they're rational, they're creative, they're aware of right and wrong. You know, it says, you know, demons are aware of Jesus and, you know, shudder at that, but doesn't mean that they're made in the image of God. And so we know that when God created humans, he made them in the image of God. He doesn't make angels and demons in the image of God. And then what about Satan? Satan is rational. He's creative. He's also aware of right and wrong. Is he made in the image of God? I would think not, right? Um, other creatures, and so when they've studied this, like biologically, like you look at like a dolphin. A dolphin is capable of rational decisions. A chimpanzee is capable of creativity. Um, right and wrong, eh, I don't know, maybe. I'm sure J uh, Jane Goodall would say, oh, absolutely, you know. And so obviously there are other creatures that are rational or that are creative or that have an intellectual capacity, right? All right, so in Ecclesiastes, just to kind of bring this home, Ecclesiastes is a great book because it's written by someone who's very depressed. It's almost like it's written by Emily Dickinson or like a depressed teenage girl or something. But anyway, he says this. He says, I also said, or boy, uh, I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to, all, uh, and to dust all return. And so what he's saying there is, well, biologically, ontologically, like we're all the same, right? 
And so uh, that doesn't necessarily make us different in, different in and of itself, all right? Um, and so, and then here's this other one. Uh, what about humans that uh, don't have the mental capacity to uh, be rational or creative or that don't have an awareness of right and wrong? So the guys y'all make rounds with, patients that they don't know what their name is, stuff like that, does that mean they're not made in the image of God? I think the answer we give to that is, well, no, they're still made in the image of God. So it can't be entirely this. And so the point of all this is to say is it, it does not come uh, down to just this, just a rational or spiritual intellectual differences, okay? And so um, let's kind of move into this third one then. So the third option is, so we've had physical, then we've had the spiritual component. The third option is, is that we have a certain divine function and purpose. So your blanks there are divine function, and then purpose. All right, and so with this option, the Imago Dei means, and here's a lot of blanks for you, that God calls humans into a relationship with Him, that God has us be the representatives of God to the rest of creation in His name, and that God has us be stewards and caretakers of creation. I'll read it again. So with this concept, the Imago Dei, or the image of God, means that God calls humans into a relationship with Him. God has us be the representatives of God to the rest of creation in His name. And God has us be stewards and caretakers of creation. So with this concept, it's almost like, um, you know, someone's like knighted, and now they're Sir, you know, Anna, or whatever. We had a Sir Earl something, a patient this morning. Anyway, uh, this afternoon. But uh, so... Uh, it's like, it's like almost like an appointed time. And now this kind of option, this one is uh, kind of a newer option, but it kind of allows for Adam and Eve not even being the first humans. And so if you're going to be like a you know, monkey to man Christian, which there are some of those, they sort of lean towards this understanding of the image of God because what Genesis 1-1 could mean is not that Adam and Eve are the first humans, but they're the first that were made in the image of God, which is sort of like an enunciation of sorts, okay? So it's an interesting concept. Um, it feels a little bit like maybe fabricated, and I think it takes away a lot of that physical nature that is present in those words, but it's another way of looking at it, and I think there's a truth to it, but I don't know that it's all that the image of God means. Okay, uh, here's a, it's a little bit of a long quote by a guy named Joshua Moritz, but I want to read it um, to kind of, he, he's a, a proponent of this belief, he's an evolution uh, kind of thinker, Christian, but as Abraham was chosen by God from among the nations, so humans are chosen by God from among the multiplicity of life forms to serve as priests of the cosmic temple and represent God's purposes and will to their fellow organic co-heirs of God's kingdom. Humans are the image of God, not by biological nature or right, but through election from among the animals by divine grace. As human animals by form and nature, we are biological priests by vocation and as such are called and anointed to be agents in the renewal of God's whole creation, from Adam to Noah and from Abraham to Christ. So a couple of words that kind of like stick out to me is election, the idea that we're like elected. So again, it's like you're kind of picked. It's like if you're picking like a kickball team, I pick you and you and you. And in that sense, God has picked humans from among the other options. It's not that we're biologically different. Okay, it's that, well, I'm gonna use you guys to be my team. Okay, you're elected. All right, this is your vocation now. You're supposed to work and do these things to kind of like, like that video showed, to make uh, the world better. And so it's like my little image bearers, and this is what your work is, and that was, that's what the image of God is. Um, 
And so there is some truth to this, I think. I think when you look at humans in terms of how we're different from, from animals, uh, there are certain aspects that are unique. Like, so we create, we worship, we communicate, we reason, and we relate. We're capable of love in a way that other animals and, cre and creatures are not. And uh, we're responsible for our actions. Um, and these are core identity differences, okay? Uh, and they're not entirely physical or spiritual or intellectual, right? There's just something that's different. So this would be a discussion on kind of the ontology, like what is unique to humans, let's say, um, and what does it mean to be human? These are some, some of these aspects, and so you could call that the image of God. Um, so I guess I would say kind of moving on through this a little bit. Um, another way to look at this, though, is that so you could say that like, this is what it means to be created in the image of God, or you could say that because we're created in the image of God, these things follow, all right? And I think that's probably more accurate if I'm being honest, this guy Gerhard von Rad says, this commission to rule is not considered as belonging to the definition of God's image, but it is its consequence. For example, that for which man is capable because of it. All right, and that would kind of be the way that I think of it in reading through a lot of this is that, yeah, so we have this vocation, this is something that God has given us, these, uh, the capacity to love and some of these other, like that we're creative, that we can communicate and reason, I think that these are sort of the outpouring of us having the image of God, okay? And as I alluded to earlier, the fourth option, which is kind of what I, I guess, now subscribe to after reading through this, in This Is Your Blank, is, is that being created in the image of God includes all three options, okay? I think it's sort of a, a mosaic of all three. And so uh, it's hard to say for sure, but I think it includes physical, spiritual, and this sort of function or purpose-centered component. Okay. All right, so here's how Piper kind of summarizes it just to bring it home, is what the full meaning of man's God-likeness is cannot be determined until all that man and God are is known. Man is man, complex physical spiritual being, in his wholeness, not his parts, is like God. It is not enough to say that he reasons, nor is it enough to say he is addressed, for Satan too reasons and is addressed. Our definition of the Imago Dei must be broad because the only sure statements we have about the Imago Dei are broad. The definition I offer is this, the Imago Dei is that in man which constitutes him as he whom God loves. All right, hopefully you were able to follow that, okay? All right, so I do want to ask this question because I think it's interesting, um, is this question of do animals have the image of God? Um, I have nothing against animals. I feel like it may seem like that sometimes. I really don't. Uh, but I think it's interesting. I, I think that part of this conversation and what Dave will talk about is how we've taken these concepts of the image of God, the idea that, are hum that humans are special or that they're unique, and we sort of subverted those. So if you talk to a true like atheist or true naturalist or whatever you want to say, uh, they would be forced to say that you know, that piece of wood out there covered in moss is really no different from that of a human. Now, if you start to throw that into a fire or you throw a baby into a fire, I think that their <laughs> kind of their rational conclusion would be, uh, you know, subverted by their emotional, you know, kind of uh, input or uh, response. Um, but that's what they would have to say if, if it's just matter and it's just randomness, right? Uh, but do, do animals have the image of God? Okay, so according to Genesis, no. Um, I talked about this earlier. We were both created on day six. But only humans receive the image of God. So I think what I like about that is that it, it sort of says that biologically we are similar. We're created on the same day, but there was something different about how we were created. All right, I think this is true of animals. I think if you look at it, is that animals seem to ask what, but humans ask why. 
And so if you look at like a lion that kills a zebra, uh, we don't hold the lion responsible. We don't try the lion for murder. Okay, this is just something that a lion does. It's asking what questions. It's, I'm hungry and what am I going to do about it? Well, I'm going to eat. It doesn't ask a question of, well, should I not eat this poor innocent zebra? You know, it's, it's written on its code to kill the, to kill the zebra. Um, if seagulls snatch a fish away from each other, we don't try them for stealing. You know, they don't feel any guilt over that. Uh, they take the fish because they want the fish. It's a very what-based conception, correct? All right. Uh, there's also this interesting going a little bit deeper into Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, as we read, mankind is created to rule over all creatures. There's actually, between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, there's a difference in the words that are used for God. Has anyone ever read about this? So in Genesis 1, the word for God is Elohim, uh, which is more of an impersonal. It means like Lord. All right, so it just means like a king or a ruler. Uh, and then when you shift into Genesis 2, so we've gone through all the days of creation. Genesis 2, the word that's used is Yahweh, all right, or the personal name for God. And this is important because Genesis 2, it focuses on God's creation of man and woman. It's more personal. And so there is like a difference that that writer is intending for us to see that in Genesis 1, when he creates, you know, uh, you know sky and water and earth and plants and animals, that there is something, I guess you could say impersonal, or something different about it. It's creative, it's important, but the real important thing is the shift into Genesis 2, where now we like get the, the personal name for God, this Yahweh, that is creating man and woman in His image. Okay, so I think there's something even in the Hebrew to kind of point to what's different there. Um, this is another, another little interest, interesting aside, but if you look at Matthew 10, 29-31, we get this story about... Um, God providing for the sparrow. Does anyone want to bring that? Actually, it'd be kind of helpful to read it. I should have had it in here. But if somebody will go to Matthew 10, 29 through 31, we'll kind of look at that real quick. I think there's an interesting point to be made. Do you have it, Anna? Okay. Yep. All right, so a couple things to take from that. We're more valuable than sparrows as humans. I think the other interesting thing, though, is, is that um, the little sparrow has value, too. Okay? So you can kind of take this one of two ways. You could say, well, we're more valuable than sparrows. We don't need to care about sparrows. We don't need to care about animals, yada, yada, yada. But I think it's, it's, it's worth stating that uh, animal rights from a Christian perspective uh, is, is still a valuable concept. I think just in the same way that we're asked to cultivate and take care of creation, uh, I think that includes animals. And I think, uh, you know, animals, we see this from Genesis, they're there for our consumption and for our sustenance, uh, but they're also God's creation. And so I think that we shouldn't elevate animals to the same level as ourselves, but we should also see them as part of God's creation and, and have respect in that sense. Uh, so I think you see that even in a story like that. We're more valuable, but little birds still valuable to God is kind of the point of that, that parable. Okay, I want to go to a video, uh, and then we're going to shift into this final little section on how do we reflect the image of God in our lives. And so if we feel like we're made in the image of God, what does that mean kind of practically for our lives? I think this video does probably the best job I've seen of summarizing that. Okay, so. All right, so that video was from the uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, or the ERLC, and that was on the image of God. And kind of applying like, well, 
if we're made in the image of God, what difference does that make or how should that affect the way that we treat people? And they also, I love the theme they have in the background of that. It's almost exactly like the show The Leftovers. I don't know if you put that together. It's like almost exactly the same musically. So I think they like lifted it basically. But it works very well. Very emotionally uh, satisfying. <laughs> kind of feels like Lost if you ever watch that show. The kind of music they'll put underneath stuff. Oh, anyway, that was very important that I said all that. Um, all right, so the question becomes, how do we reflect the image of God in our lives? Uh, John Piper says this. And so reading the sermons of his, I think his conclusion about this question of what is the image of God really kind of came back to, it doesn't matter. It's not like something we're ever going to really know what that means. Um, but I do, in a simple sense, kind of know what it means. And so he says the images are created to image. All right, that's his kind of simple thing. So what he uses as an example for that is if we put up a statue of George Washington, what's the purpose of that statue? Well, to look like George Washington, that's, that's true. Uh, what is sort of the, the purpose, though? Yeah, to remember history to, you know, if you're outside St. Louis Cardinals Stadium. Sorry, I'm not like not a baseball guy at all. I don't know what their stadium's called. Um, but if there's like a, you know, statue Stan Musial or Ozzie Smith or, you know, Mark McGuire, um, even though he did steroids, it's okay. They've got those statues. Um, what's the point of that? Well, it's to remember the years where they won championships and they got all their Golden Glove awards and hit home runs, all this kind of stuff. So that's what the point of it is. For George Washington, it's, well, you want to remember the United States and all its original glory and liberty and freedom and Revolutionary War and all these sorts of things um, and his leadership. Um, it is an image that is meant to image. It's supposed to give you images in your mind uh, or to resemble ideas or physical characteristics, let's say. Okay, And so that is the point of us being image bearers is to bring an awareness to the image itself. right? Okay. Just like a photograph, like why do you keep photos on your phone? It's to remind you of someone or something or a place in time, right? All right, and so you could say it like this. Images are created to set forth the reality, but God is the reality, and we are the image, okay? And so then this is another statement with a blank. Thus we were created as images of God to show and reveal God. I think it's important to say that if we were created to show and reveal God, it's important to say that if we don't represent the image of God in our lives, we sort of destroy the original purpose for what we were created. So if we're created in the image of God and we don't represent that and we cover that up with a lot of other stuff, I've heard it kind of said like this, if we were like a mirror that's supposed to reflect the light that is God or the image that is God, but we cloud up our mirror, there's not a whole lot of light coming off from us. Okay, uh, And if we sort of pervert what that image is supposed to be, it has the opposite effect. Uh, John Piper says this, he says, When we communicate to the world that money, possessions, popularity, sex, recognition, and the like are our treasure rather than God, these things satisfy us rather than God, then God gets the bad press. And we're not doing what we were created to do. We were created to image God. Okay. Um, we're also called to honor the image of God in everyone. I think that's another like really profound way of looking at this concept and one that we've missed throughout history is the image of God means that all humans, despite color, gender, intelligence, socioeconomics, they all have God-given intrinsic worth and value. So it's not extrinsic, but it's intrinsic. It's inside of them, it's something God's put there. This is why racism is so stupid. This is why prejudice of all types is really stupid because we're all the same. All right, biologically, we're not. There's people that are stronger or smarter or certainly uh, more athletic or 
more attractive or whatever, but intrinsically, we're the same. And that's important. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, if you know Ravi, uh, he's a real famous, uh, I believe he's Indian uh, apologeticist. So we're going to do a series in Bridge Builders on him coming up. But uh, the imperative of love and compassion from Christ to the marginalized in society came as a natural outworking of two precepts that, that Christ thought of as important, that every human being is made in the image of God and that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so you see in Jesus is the real true image of God. You see him being compassionate to people that otherwise people were not compassionate to. The reason is because he saw people all as the same, right? And he saw what was intrinsic to them or what was inside of them. All right, so some key Bible verses. I'll just read them really quickly. And this is really just mostly on Christian living. But this is kind of the extension of if we're made in the image of God, how should we live? And that video kind of did a good job of bringing this home. But Ephesians 4.1, it says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And so if we think of the image of God as, as a calling, and that's a good verse for that. 1 John 3.16, this is uh, how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then Galatians 5.22-23 on the fruit of the Spirit. And so the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of the person that is reflecting God, the image bearer would be joy, peace, uh, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, so I want to wrap up. So this is the last like two minutes here. Um, I don't know if you realize tomorrow's tax day. Does anyone know that? Are your taxes in? I hope you know there's tax day. Does anyone not have their taxes in? What's that, every other year? <laughs> yeah, this, this, is a leap, this is a leap year. It's actually a year of jubilee, so you don't have to pay taxes. Um, yeah, all debts are forgiven. Um, that's, I think that's every 49 years, but yes. You, you, you actually, I think last year was Jubilee. I don't know if they actually forgave debts and gave the land back, but anyway, it's all good. Or rested their land. But anyway, um, and so I thought it was apropos on a day like today to talk about taxes and uh, kind of use, it's actually from Ravi Zacharias also. It's an, an illustration he used in a sermon that I think is great on the image of God. And uh, it's a story about, it's what are called Herodians, but I'll just call them men that approach Jesus, and they're just like everyone else in Matthew and Mark and uh, Luke and John, but they're trying to trap Jesus in something to get him in trouble. So they're trying to pit him against Caesar in this example. And so they go to him and they say, well, I've got this coin, and um, you know, do I need to pay taxes to Caesar? And so Jesus kind of wisely sort of avoids the question in a way, because he says, well, no, you don't have to pay to Caesar, then they're going to get him arrested. Um, but you may remember what he says. He says um, to, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give to God that which belongs to God. I would have loved for him to say that I didn't have to pay taxes, because um, then I could actually be a good Christian and also not pay taxes. Because uh, you, you pay a lot of taxes, it turns out. Uh, and so the more successful you get in life, the more taxes you pay. But anyway, that's not what he said. And so... What he said was, you know, whose face is on the coin? Well, Caesar's, well, give under Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God uh, what is God's. Now, of course, these Herodians, they didn't ask a follow-up question because their original question was not sincere, right? They were trying to trap Jesus. And so when they got that answer, they were kind of done, they were kind of beat, so then they just left, and that's how the story ends. But I think it's interesting, and, and Ravi brings this point up, and I, I did not, this is his idea, but uh, do you know what the natural follow-up question should have been? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. How much do you, is this before taxes or after taxes that we tithe? Now, I think the natural follow-up question is, what belongs to God? Okay, and so we know what belongs to Caesar, but what, what belongs to God? 
And he says that Jesus' answer would have been, whose image is on you? And uh, I think that's great. So whose image is on you? That's your last blank. So whose image is on you? So if we're supposed to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God that which belongs to God, God's image is on us. And so we should be giving to God ourselves, right? And so um, it's a shame they didn't ask that question because it would have been a great way to end that story. Um, But I think sort of the conclusion of this and kind of looking at this, I know it's kind of tough and it's a little bit dense, um, is that I really don't know what it means to be made in the image of God. Um, I think that it means a lot of things that we won't know. I think it means that we have characteristics that we share with God. I think God has made us different from other creatures. I think that we both physically, and I don't understand the physical aspect, but I know that the words, they refer to the physical nature. So you'll have to answer that one for me. Um, I know that there's an intellectual, spiritual component, and I know there's a sort of uh, kind of duties or purpose concept that's, that's kind of tied up in that. And I think that we are supposed to be God's ambassadors, and I think we're supposed to work at being sanctified to look more and more like the true image of God. Um, and I think the, the degree to which we reflect God into this world makes this world better, and I think that's what God expects for us. I think God wants to see Himself most glorified in this world, and I think that we're the, uh, the ones to do that. Okay, so it's his ambassadors on this earth. So, all right, so I want to thank you for tuning in. Um, it's a tough topic, there's a lot there to talk through, and I always like for topics to kind of end really nice and neat with a very clear consensus answer. And I think for the image of God, uh, like John Piper was talking about, is it's not entirely clear, and until we understand all the complexities of man and all the complexities of God. We're not going to be able to understand what the image of God entirely is. Certainly there's a physical, there's a spiritual, uh, and there's also this sort of purpose-driven uh, kind of aspect to it. And I think it's all kind of encompassed in that. We'll look uh, next week on something that we do know a little bit more about, and it's a little bit more tangible, and that is uh, biblical manhood. Grant Dasher will be with us, and then the next week after that, his wife Jessica will be with us to talk on biblical womanhood. I think those will be really great lessons. Certainly our culture has subverted what it means to be male and female, and certainly God lays out a very clear pattern for what we are supposed to be as men and as women. So I think that will be a great lesson. I hope you'll be back with us to listen then. Hope you have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time. Thanks.